Good morning. It's great to see all your faces. Glad you all are here today. Um, there, there aren't really a lot of announcements, and so I'm just going to jump. I'm going to jump right into this message this morning. Um, I think the greatest, the greatest challenge I feel this morning is in taking a familiar concept and a familiar story and us not just kind of settling into that zone of like, I know, I know that, I know this, that's basic, <laughs> but that we could hear the reality of God's heart towards us today, his loving heart towards us today. That's my hope and prayer for us. Um, so I want to start by, um, y'all can go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 15. We're going to spend almost the whole morning there. We're going to begin in verse 11. Um, it'll be on the screen here in a minute. But um, I actually want to start with just kind of a personal story. So um, my freshman year of college, I was going to Houston Baptist University in Houston, Texas. Um, I grew up in Sugarland, Texas. And so um, I, I got to admit, it wasn't my first choice in school. Um, this might shock you being in Tennessee, but, you know, Texas A&M was kind of like calling my name. It was appealing to me. I had some friends there. I was ready to go be an Aggie. Um, but um, it was going to be expensive to go to A&M. And so through, through some things that the Lord clearly put into place and a little bit of hard work and a lot of prayer, um, I actually got a, a full-ride scholarship to go to Houston Baptist University. So I was like, okay, I can't turn down free college. So instead, what I proceeded to do over my freshman year of college was just ruin that really incredible opportunity I had been given. And I think my parents had their suspicions that I wasn't doing well, but we never verbalized that. Um, two months into my freshman year, my whole family moved away from Houston to Middle Tennessee the, to the Nashville area. And so I'm, I'm now staying behind in Houston, and I won't go into all of the uh, excuses I gave myself for struggling that year, but um, it wasn't so much that I was like partying at school. It was more like I was miserable and lonely and kind of lost that year. And so by March or April, I knew like they're getting ready to pull my scholarship. Like I'm not showing up for class. I'm not doing the work. It's bad. And so there was like maybe two or three weeks left of school, four weeks left of school. And I just suck it up and make that dreaded phone call. Um, Mom and Dad, can you come get me? And uh, if, if you knew me back then, well, you know me now, so you may be aware of this. I was a fairly confident, cocky, prideful guy. <laughs> and to have to acknowledge, like, I need help and I blew this opportunity, like, really hit me deep. Um, and the reason I tell that story is to say one of the clearest pictures of the Father's love was shown to me by my parents during that time. My dad drove a truck with a trailer from Nashville down to Houston because I had an old 68 Chevy Bel Air, which was fun, but was not going to make it to Middle Tennessee. And we towed it back, and I don't ever remember them guilting me, shaming me. I don't even think you guys asked many questions. They just brought me home. Now listen, there were consequences and repercussions. It was like, hey, if you're coming home, you're either getting a job and paying rent or you're going to get your behind back in school. Um, there were consequences, but there was such grace and love. And God used that in a big way to start drawing me in a more personal way to himself. And so as a kid who grew up in church, for really for the first time, 
I was really understanding my need for the grace and love of God. And so in, in kind of that context, um, I want to dive into Luke chapter 15 here. Now, we're going to take a look at a passage of Scripture that's most commonly referred to as the story of the prodigal son. Anybody heard the story of the prodigal son before? Yes? Okay, but your, your head nods. I, I see you're with me. Um, that's a perfectly fine title for this story, but I don't think that's really what this story is all about. Um, you could even call it the story of two lost sons. Often in the telling of the story, we stop after the prodigal returns home, and we forget Jesus' story continued. There's another brother still at home, and he was just as lost as his younger brother. But I don't even think that's an adequate title for this story. This story is really the story of the loving father. It's the story of the loving father. And so let's take a look at our father's love this morning. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. This, Jesus is the he that's being referred to here. And he said, there was a man. You see who the subject of the story is? There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And the father divided his property between them. Jesus says, there was a man. And then he starts with this brief interaction that in our Western telling of this story, we blast right past. And we get to where the prodigal son starts losing all the money and wasting it on this reckless lifestyle, this prodigal lifestyle. We miss the moment in the story that the folks listening at this time would have gasped at. They would have recognized the uniqueness of this father. The first thing that's happening here is that a son is saying to his dad, I want what I get when you die. He's not saying I want this week's allowance. I want what's coming to me. In other words, the property, your possessions, when they get divvied up at your death, Older brother's going to get a little more than me because that's the way it worked in that culture. He would have gotten two-thirds of it, and little brother would have gotten a third of it. And he says, I want it right now. I would rather have your stuff than you. That's, that's what he's saying. Now, that would have already been like a gasp moment that a son would ever dare to do something like that. In a culture that was very familiar with the honor-shame mentality, this would have been shocking. But that's not the most shocking part of the story. The most shocking part comes next. What does the father do? Kick him out of the house? Scold him? How could you insult me like that? What's he do? He does it. He does it. He sells, he, listen, he divided up his property. Do you understand what it would take to do that? The uniqueness of this father is unbelievable. Here's what he's doing. He follows through with his son's request, and by dividing the property between them, he's giving up everything. Like, like when, when people have talked about this story and they say, oh, this father that shows grace to the son, like there's no real sacrifice. It doesn't really fully capture the sacrifice 
of Jesus and what it really takes to redeem somebody, it cost this father everything. It cost him resources, first of all. It says he went ahead and divvied up all of his property between them. That means he would have been breaking up plots of land. That land was everything. It was your place in society, your place in community. Um, you were tied to your land, your, your wealth, your standing. Everything was tied to the land. And this is scandalous. And so not only does it cost him all of his resources, not only that, it costs him his standing. It cost him his standing. Can you imagine the scandal in this town as they're going, wait, you're doing what? You're breaking up your property? You're, that plot of land's available? You're selling that? Your son's just cashing that out? What's going on? He, he, his standing in his community would have been highly diminished. And the other dads would be looking around going like, my, my son better not think he's going to get away with that. <laughs> Right? When like the one parent lets their kids start doing something and then all the other parents look around and go, oh, great. Awesome. Thanks. You're giving that age kid a cell phone? Great. Now I got to like, okay, y'all know what I'm talking about. That's what's happening here. That's what's happening in town. What is this dad doing? They're, they're mad at him. He's, he's going to be shamed. His standing is gone. His legacy is gone. This stuff that he would have continued stewarding, shepherding, building in order to hand off to his sons and for them to carry it forward. The point when he did give it to his sons wasn't going to be for them to sell it and go squander it. So he's, he's giving up his legacy. He's, he's taking great damage to his name. Your, your name was everything in that culture. Your name was who you are, what you stood for, your legacy. He was putting his very name on the line. And yet, he did it. He did it. Now, there's a couple things that I think are highlighted here about this dad. And I hope that you can hear this in terms of his love for you. And I hope as a parent, we can maybe hear something that would help us as parents to our kids. The first thing I see from this story is that this father does not parent out of embarrassment. His kids aren't corrected because he got embarrassed. He didn't parent his kids based on what people around were going to be thinking of him. See, I, I read this story and from my vantage point, as, especially as we unpack it more, I'm just like, man, God, you're awesome. Like, what a good dad. You love us. You lavish stuff on us. That's amazing. Do you think the parents in town thought he was a good parent? <laughs> no. No way. But he didn't let what other people were going to think about him influence how he parented and loved his kids. And so he didn't parent out of embarrassment. He didn't parent out of, what, what am I going to look like? How's this going to come across? I can't believe my kids would do that in front of other people. Now, I'm saying this and like convicting myself right now as I've been in situations where my parents, my parents, my children are publicly doing things that are kind of embarrassing. And I'm worried about how that reflects on me. 
And at times, like, want to step in and discipline out of I'm embarrassed, not I'm trying to help them grow and mature. But our Father doesn't parent out of embarrassment. Can I, can I just say something to you this morning? He's not embarrassed of you. When, when you're at your worst, when you've blown it the most, when his name is potentially sullied because people know you're a believer and you're a Christian and yet you did what? He's not embarrassed. He loves you and he's for you at your worst. That's our loving father. The second thing that's just as shocking, I think, uh, maybe because I'm a control freak, but he doesn't parent out of a need to control. He doesn't parent out of a need to control. He's actually giving radical freedom to his kids. This is, this is amazing to me. Now, if you think I'm just stretching just this one story too far, let's go back to where we were last Sunday. Let's look at the Garden of Eden. What did the father do there? He gave a ton of freedom. Here's this garden. It's set up for you. Enjoy it. And hey, there's one thing I'm going to ask you not to do. And then what does he let his kids do? Hang out in the garden alone with snakes. <laughs> How many helicopter moms are feeling great about letting their kids go play in the garden with known snakes? By the way, I think one of them talks. That's, that's pretty freaky. But he, he, releases, he releases his kids into some freedom. The the first thing we see this morning about the radical love of this father is that he lavishes his kids with freedom. He lets his kids make choices, including whether or not they even want to be with him. Because that was kind of the ultimate choice being made in the garden. He didn't hover over them. He didn't try to control them. Because here's, here's the reality, and I've experienced this big time as a parent, that control is an illusion. It's an illusion of something that happened. I got reminded of this in a scary way yesterday, and I didn't know I should be scared until hours later because I wasn't even around. But my wife and mother-in-law and two oldest daughters were out shopping and kind of hanging out yesterday afternoon, and they get home, and they're telling me the story of how they almost got head-on collision on Kingston Pike. They got a green arrow. They turn left. There's a lady looking down in her lap at her phone, blasts straight through the red light, and they just miraculously, my daughter actually said she was literally leaning over in the car because she was so certain it was going to get slammed. Thank God it missed them. You know what I was doing? I'm at home hanging out with the kids, no clue. I have no control over that circumstance or that situation. I have no control over what someone else is doing. I mean, there's laws against looking at your phone when you're driving, so surely people don't look at their phones when they're driving. Sorry, that's a different topic for a different day. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an illusion. Now, now listen, this sermon isn't about this topic, but I, I'm a believer in boundaries. We, we introduced that idea last Sunday. I'm a believer in healthy boundaries and rules and disciplining consequences. We're going to talk about that as we go in the series. But at the end of the day, being a parent is risky. 
And, and we have to decide whether or not we're going to be willing to, to let go of some control we don't really have and allow our kids the freedom to make choices and decisions. And our loving Father does that. Now, I just have to say, um, I, I, don't, I don't remember, it was years ago when I felt like the Lord just opened my eyes to this, and if someone was preaching this in a sermon, then I should give them credit, but I don't remember that. I just remember having this moment of realization that I hope will give all of us a little bit of freedom as parents. Because Adam and Eve had the absolute perfect father who put them in the absolute perfect situation. Beautiful, wonderful garden. Enjoy all of it. There's one really simple rule. Just don't eat from that one tree. That's it. Perfect father, perfect environment. The kids are perfectly loved. He's a present father. He's a loving father. Like they experience all of the joys of what he's provided for them. And that perfect loving father had kids who screwed up the entire world forever. Well, not forever. He's going to redeem it. But think about that. They messed it all up for all of us. If he can't keep his kids from messing up, why on earth would we possibly think we could? I don't feel like y'all are experiencing (laughs) enough freedom from this reality. I'm not saying shirk your responsibility as a parent. I'm just saying we, we need to learn from him how to love our kids well to the best of our ability. But we are raising people who are going to make choices and decisions. And we need to take note of how our Father has loved us and learn that the control that we think we have is an illusion. And so let's do what we can do. Let's do what we can do. And and let's actually help shepherd our kids into how to use that freedom well. All right? All right, I can feel it. I've opened up a huge can of worms. We'll continue. All right, so he, he loves and he gives freedom. Now, briefly, y'all, y'all kind of know where the story goes from here, right? The younger son takes what's coming to him. A few days later, he sets off to a country that's a long way off and he squanders everything and he squanders it on prodigal and reckless living. And then, of course, a famine comes. And now he's left with nothing in a foreign country that he, where he doesn't know anybody and is out of resources. And now there's a famine and he's starving. And so he takes one of the most humiliating jobs that a young Jewish boy could take and he starts working with pigs, an unclean animal. And he's working with pigs and he's so desperate that the food the pigs are eating is starting to sound really good. And so it's in this context that this son begins to wake up. And so in Luke 15, now verse 17, the scripture says, but when he came to himself, when he had that aha moment, man, this is miserable. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. Now, we're going to read the rest of the verse in just a minute, but I want to pause here. What are the son's motives to return home? Food. We focus on the speech he prepares, like, 
oh man, he was really repentant and humble and sorry for what he'd done to his dad. No, his stomach is growling like crazy. And so his brain starts working and says, wait a minute, I know where I can get food. All right, let me craft my story. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Now, I'm not saying he didn't mean that. I'm just saying we know what his initial motivation was. Help, I'm in trouble. Dad can rescue me. What can I say to work this out, to patch things up? And maybe it was genuine. I just think that often we think we have better motives than we really do. I wonder how many times in my life I've returned to my father and repented and really it was just because of the mess I'd gotten myself in. Not maybe what damage I'd done to him. How I'd hurt him. How I'd neglected him. How I'd embarrassed and shamed him. How I had basically said to him, eh, I just wish I could have your stuff. I don't really need you. But this loving father is not all that wrapped up in our coming home speeches. Thank God. Because not only does he show love by giving freedom, he shows love by prioritizing relationship. Check this out. The son starts his journey home. Luke 15, verse 20 now. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, can y'all say a long way off? Awesome. His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Think about this. Can you see something that's a long way off if you're not looking for it? No. Now, did the dad know he was coming home that day? I don't think so. So what does that tell me this father has been doing? Day after day after day. Watching the horizon. He didn't go drag his son home, but he was watching for his return. And to respond the way the father responded, Let's continue. We already see he has compassion, embraces him, kisses him. Verse 21. And the son said to him, he's got that speech ready. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, he actually has more of the speech. We already, we already heard the speech that was coming. So this means he was halfway through the speech, but the father interrupts. Verse 22. The father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. This is my kind of dad. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. This dad had such compassion for his son, it didn't just stir his heart, it moved his legs. That's the kind of compassion our father has. He doesn't just have emotional feelings towards us when we mess up 
and he hopes we come back, he runs to meet us. He has compassion in his heart. For this dad to not be sitting on the front porch bitter and angry and frustrated and ready to give his son, like read his son his rights, there had to be a whole lot of forgiveness that had transpired in that father's heart while his son was gone. And so when his son arrives, he's ready to meet him with compassion. He doesn't need excuses. He doesn't need a speech. He just embraces him in love. If the father hasn't embarrassed himself enough with what he's already done, Jesus takes the time to tell us that he ran to his son. There there are times I wish we could just briefly teleport back in time to get a sense of what this would have felt like. But you'll just have to take my word for it or you can do some research on your own if you want. But let me just say to you, dads in that culture, they did not run. That was dishonoring and embarrassing. They didn't run. For him to run, he wasn't wearing like his Nike shorts. You know, he hadn't just been out for his like daily jog. He's, he's got on all these outer garments and robes and like he would have had to wrap up his robe like a lady pulling up her skirt so his legs would have some room so he could run. He's like, I don't care. I don't care about being embarrassed. There's my kid and I've got to get to him. And he lavishes love on him. Now, really quick, I love the way that he loves his son by emphasizing relationship here. I'd never noticed this before this week. Are any of you guys familiar with the five love languages? You ever, you ever heard of the five love languages? The father does all five of them in this moment with his son. I love that. It just leapt off the page at me this week. Physical touch. He ran and embraced him and kissed him. Acts of service. He literally had servants like, get to work, guys. We got stuff to do for this boy. He's home. Get the party ready. Acts of service. Words of affirmation. Man, I thought you were dead. You're alive. I love you. Let's party. Welcome home. Even words that he communicated without saying them. He gave him a ring. Do you understand the symbolism of that? That's my kid. That's my son. He's worthy to carry my name. You would use a ring to like put your your imprint, your seal on something so they knew it was from you and it was official. Like he said, this is my boy. Words of affirmation. Gift giving. He gave him the ring. He gave him the best robe. Can you imagine what this kid looked and smelled like? Far country, famine, pigs. Walking back from that far country after hanging out with pigs in a place with famine. And he says, get him my best robe and put it on him. Look at, look at those tattered shoes on his feet. Bring a brand new pair of sandals. Give him a ring. And you know what? Let's throw him a big party. Gift giving. And then finally, quality time. Hey, son, I can shut down the rest of my day because I'm here with you. You have my focus. You have my attention. You are what this day is about. I love you. I'm thrilled you're here. Let's hang out and party. The father prioritizes relationship first. He prioritizes relationship first. And he loves us the way we need to be loved. 
because he uniquely knows us and he meets us right where we are. This father did not withhold love in the face of disappointment, hurt, rejection, and disobedience. Man, if we could just learn this, that it is actually possible to celebrate and embrace a person without condoning sinful and broken actions. The dad never said, oh, it's totally fine that you took a third of my fortune and blew it in a really short period of time. Maybe I've even kind of impressed that you're able to do that. I don't know. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't condone what he did. But he first embraces him as a son and loves him. All right. This is God's heart towards you and I. This isn't just a cool story. This is his heart towards us. The, the verse that completely opened up my heart to the Father is a 19-year-old kid who got out a Bible and said, all right, God, I've been hearing about you my whole life. I've said a sinner's prayer. I've done all the stuff. I'm your kid. But like, are you real? Are you alive? You gotta start talking to me through this book. And thank God I turned to 1 John chapter 4. And beginning in verse 10, and I read, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What's love? His action of love towards us first. And it's a costly love. It's a costly love. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. He runs to us first. Anything we bring to the table is just a smidgen of a reply back to this overwhelming love. We just go, thank you. <laughs> we just jump into his arms. We let him embrace us. And maybe we muster up, I love you, daddy, back. He loves us. He moves towards us. He runs to us with a costly love. Now listen, we opened this series last Sunday talking about the fact that for many of us, it has been incredibly difficult to understand and embrace the love of the Father because of our own difficult things we've experienced with fathers in our lives. Maybe our, our father that's at home, maybe a father figure in our life, an uncle, a grandfather that let us down, maybe a spiritual father in our lives has let us down. I don't, I don't know what the list is, but for many of us, we've been so either damaged by the very people we're supposed to be able to trust to protect and love us, or we've been neglected and abandoned by them that it feels almost impossible to experience the love of a father like this. But whatever our place, whatever our condition, wherever we find ourselves, the truth is this father is running towards us with love. He cares about you. He sees you. You are a priority to him. His desire is right relationship with you. And what this verse tells us, children of God, in the room, who've experienced the Father's love, what this verse tells us is we can now be a picture of this kind of love 
to other people around us. And so whatever we've gone through and experienced, that can stop right here. My life can be a place, in, can be a place where a new line is drawn. And from this day forward, I can walk as someone who has known and received and experienced the love of a perfect father. And I can participate with him so that my spouse, my children, my family, my friends, my neighbors, my coworkers can experience the love of an amazing father. Because they're going to get a taste of it through my life. Because I'm, I'm letting him touch me with this. And so they don't have to have a broken view of the Father's love. They can have a great view of it. And listen, if you're sitting here today going, but I've already screwed this up. <laughs> I've already done that. I've already, I've already broken this. What better picture of the Father's love and grace than for a dad or a mom who humble themselves and say, I've blown it. But God's mercy is awesome, and he's loved me, and he forgives me, and he, he is now going to give me the ability to learn how to love you well. One of the best gifts we can give our kids is for them to see the grace and mercy of God in our life. They don't need a mom and dad who are perfect. They've got a perfect father. They just need to see his love on display in our life. And some of the main ways his love is on display in our life is when his grace shows up and I'm, when I'm in desperate need of it, when his mercy has shown up in my life. Let's let our kids see that. All right, five more minutes. Y'all with me? Yeah. All right. The story doesn't end there. There's a party going on. There's a son who's been given a lot of freedom. There's a son who, who the father has prioritized his relationship with him, and so at great cost to himself, he has redeemed and reconciled this relationship. Third thing we see, we've already been seeing it, but man, we really see it on display here. The way the Father expresses love, it's with his pursuit and his presence. It's with his pursuit and his presence. The older son hears about this party that's going on, and he discovers that it's to celebrate his brother that has returned safe and sound. And he's just thrilled, right? If you know the story, he's not thrilled. He's frustrated. He's upset. Verse 28. But he was angry and refused to go in, so his father came out and entreated him. It means the father was pleading with him. The father goes outside to this elder brother who refuses to join the party and pleads with him, come into the house. Come join the party. Come join the celebration. Come participate in reconciling your brother and bringing him back home. The father pleads with him. But look at the elder brother's heart towards not only his brother, pay attention to his heart towards his father. Verse 29. But he answered his father, look these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Now maybe that's just pride and arrogance, but the dad doesn't contradict him. I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat. Take special note of that. Dad, you never gave me anything that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Now we see pretty clearly his attitude towards his brother. 
This younger brother who blew everything. And do you notice he throws in that little line about he's wasted it on prostitutes? You know, we've heard the prodigal son story and it gets kind of in our DNA and we just sort of inherently know that the younger brother did that. There's no evidence that that's true. He was in a far country. Now, maybe it is true, but the only reason any of us know it is because the older brother pointed it out. You see what's stirring in his heart? He's made this some sort of competitive thing with his younger brother. He's furious. But that's not the worst of it. He was a prodigal at heart towards his dad. Take note of this. I served you and never disobeyed you. I was a good boy. I was right here in your house doing the right thing the whole time. But you never gave me anything so that I could have a party with my friends. Did you hear that? He, he had become blind to what the father had given him. Did y'all catch it at the beginning of the story? When the younger son comes to the father and says, give me what's coming to me, the story says, and he divided his property amongst his two sons. Every single thing the father had had already been given to the elder brother. He didn't need his dad to give him a goat. He owned the farm. And he didn't say, dad, you and I never had a nice dinner to celebrate together. He said, I never got to go party with my friends. This tells me that it is possible to be very near the father and completely misread his love. I can spend a lifetime in his house, near him, close by, serving hard, doing the right thing, and completely miss the fact that he loves me and is pursuing me, and that the best gift he has to offer is his very presence, and that he is here to be enjoyed. I think, I think many of us are missing out on the Father's love because we don't realize what's available. It's all available. He's got the cattle on a thousand hill. We have a great inheritance because of Jesus in him. But the best thing that we have available to us is his presence. We're going to look at this later in the series, but like Jesus goes, goes and tells this story about how us, we're fathers who are messed up, but we don't give our kids a snake when they ask for a fish to eat, right? He's like, we give good gifts to our kids. And then he says, how much more will the father in heaven give you the good and perfect gift that's due you? And you know what he goes on to say that gift is? The Holy Spirit, the presence of God. The greatest gift he can give us is his presence. And that's what he offers. I give you freedom. I love you and want relationship with you. And I'm going to pursue you and give you my presence. Do you want it? Do you want it? That's how the story ends. It ends with a big question mark. There's the elder brother in his heart cut off and removed from the father, unable to love his brother, and the father standing there with open arms going, I love you, I'm for you, I'm with you. Will you come join the party? The end. That's the question. God is a loving father. He gives freedom 
He runs to redeem us because he prioritizes relationship and he pursues us with his presence. He does this so we can learn firsthand what love is and we can enjoy giving and receiving it. That's what he has for us. That's the father that wants to father us. Will we let him? And parents, will we partner with him to learn to love like that? That's my prayer. I don't know about you. I need help with that. My hand's up. (laughs) Help. And he goes, sure thing, bud. Sure thing. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the love that you have lavished upon us in that you have called us sons and daughters. God, may we live in that reality. God, will we understand the great freedom that you've given us? You don't control us like robots. You let us choose. God, I pray your love would be so apparent to us. Our eyes would be so open to it that, God, we would use that freedom to choose you. Not to go wasted on reckless living, but to see your reckless love that you lavishly pour out at great cost to yourself to love us. God, thank you that above all else, you pursue relationship. And so you actually run with compassion in order to reconcile us and redeem us. Jesus, thank you that you thought your dad was so great that you would pay the ultimate sacrifice so we could be brought in to his presence, into his love, into his home. God, thank you that you're always working, that you're pursuing us and your presence is available to us. God, whether we've been a running prodigal our whole lives or a stay-at-home prodigal that's missed the truth of your love, God, would you open our hearts? Would you open our eyes? Would you soften us to the truth that your love is available? And God, may we just simply say, yes, we'll join the party. In Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen.